This is, with the second pick, Steve Francis, the excessively niche Vancouver Grizzlies basketball podcast, where we look back on the best and most famous moments of arguably the worst franchise in NBA history. They may have been absolutely appalling in nearly every single way, but we love them with everything we had and have. Here with me, as always, is Mr. Insightful, Mr. Delightful, Justin McElroy. And Justin, today, a little bit of a different wrinkle. We're still reeling from that roller coaster uh, win over the Sonics, so a bit of a different different thing today. Yeah, it took us a couple episodes to say, hey, there's NBA drafts. Why don't we talk about that? And the very first draft for the Grizzlies was so singular for a couple key reasons. One is it was their first time on the national stage, but the other is where they got their singular player, Bryant Big Country Reeves. So we thought, let's take a look back. Let's watch how that first formation happened. And we learned a little bit about uh, just how you know, mediocre that 95 draft was and how unique of a broadcasting spectacle that draft was as well. It was quite something to watch. And it just, I mean, it couldn't hit you in the face anymore if it wanted to right off the top with not one, not two, but three Pearl Jam songs um, (laughs) in case you needed a reminder that it was the 1990s. And right off the top, something that you don't, that you would have seen at most drafts, but you didn't, David Stern comes out and doesn't get booed. Uh, rest in peace, of course. But that was always a staple of NBA drafts is he would come out and they would boom and he would kind of give the like, yeah, give it to me, give it to me. Um, and so we had TNT uh, hosted by Ernie Johnson with Hubie Brown, uh, Rick Patino coaching uh, the University of Kentucky at the time and Craig Sager as the kind of uh, player interviewer. You know, it was a lot of people were quite accustomed to watching but the tone of the coverage was a, a little bit weird and i think it's you know the way we talk about players has evolved a lot since that time yeah it was i mean it was surface level what they were talking about we do more research now into players about who they are their backstories everything else as well but yeah it relied a lot on just quick read stereotypes as well uh, a lot of language of black players which at this point we would say you know you've said the word athletic maybe one too many times there uh it was at the end of the day the type of coverage that today you would turn off pretty quickly both in terms of how you know dull it was and how you didn't really learn a heck of a lot new about these players but jeremy you talked about the broadcast being on tnt and that's half right that's one half of this story the other more amazing more ridiculous half is what (laughs) david stern said himself when he made that introduction this year's draft is being telecast on both tnt in the united states and YTV here in Canada. To our fans across... And you hear the crowd boo slash laugh 
It's amazing. And even I went, what? It was on YTV. The amazing. And we, we need to we need to explain for people who are not Canadian. Right. For whatever. Let's assume we have a couple fans in Memphis here. Or to, <laughs> YTV is a children's network. It yes. is cartoons. It is shows for kids. The on-air personalities are children or young adults. I tried researching. I tried finding out why YTV had the rights to this as opposed to anywhere else in Canada. But yes, a start for the Vancouver Grizzlies, their very first time in the spotlight in Canada was on a children's network. Yeah, it literally stands for Youth TV, if I'm not uh, mistaken. You know, I had this kind of pretty negative connotation that it would be Amateur Hour and Mickey Mouse, and you dug up the coverage of YTV. And I got to tell you, I was so pleasantly surprised because the YTV coverage was basically everything the TNT coverage was not. It was earnest. It was exciting. It was looking at players on a human level. And going back to what you said about, you know, the questionable way they talked about athletes, like after a while on TNT, I was feeling like straight up, this is racist. They're saying things like, this guy's got a low pain threshold. He had low test scores in high school. He has a bad attitude. Is he coachable? He's immature. He's too cocky. And there was this condescension. If you didn't go to college for four years, that's no good. And there's something wrong with you. And why would you come out of college where, by the way, you're not getting paid and you could get millions of dollars in the NBA? Um, And Craig Sager is giving these kind of really condescending interviews to these black athletes just after they've had the biggest moment of their professional lives or of their whole lives, really. So we get to YTV, on the other hand, and we've got young people, diverse people, women, and there's there's a whole cast of them. There's like six or eight people you're seeing regularly. And I'll say, technically speaking, you know, they had some issues with cutting in and out of the TNT feed to hear Stern and hear the picks and hear the interviews. They were getting the timing wrong a bit. But all in all, I love the energy. You've got the host. um, I forget his name now. PJ Phil. Yes. He's saying, man, good for Jerry when Jerry Stackhouse gets drafted. And, oh, good for big country. Like, they just seem so genuinely excited. And after about 10 minutes, 15 minutes of watching it, it was infectious. I had a smile on my face. Yeah, it was fun. And ultimately, the draft... There's 10 or 15 players, you know, we're going to find out who's picked. It's entertainment at the end of it. And these kids were entertaining. They were exciting. Yeah, there were some production issues, but they were throwing to multiple live locations, multiple pre-programmed things in the middle of a broadcast they have no control over. And uh, you got Jay Triano as well, the color man for the Grizzlies for their entire time here, giving straight up good information about uh, these players in a way that felt accessible as an adult, but for kids was probably fairly understandable as well. You you know, we can nitpick about how at one point one of the announcers just started screaming the rules of the draft in a way that was like, <laughs> okay, dial it down a little bit there. And, you know, sometimes saying things where it's like, okay, you're clearly reading off some cue cards uh, uh, here as well. But it was enjoyable. And uh, frankly, I wish more big-time sports drafts had extensive production done by Youth Television Network, if only so we could get that delightful second screen. Well, yeah, but also just like, I mean, that's what sports is all about, man. It's all about fun and excitement and forgetting about the doldrums of day-to-day life. TNT had like... 
10 minutes off the top about the looming work stoppage that was going to happen in the NBA. And they did an interview with like an NBA exec who was basically threatening the players on national television. And, you know, that's important news coverage and all that. But the YTV stuff was so human focused and they're talking about the moms and they're talking about what it's going to be like to have a team. And there was actually a great segment in Vancouver where the Vancouver um, correspondent uh, does a tape segment with Stu Jackson and they do a little joke that he's not allowed into the secret war room. That sounds cool. Let's go in. Let's check this out. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to stop you more. Why is that? It's the top secret room here. A lot of information in there that I'm sorry you cannot have. Well, so uh, I have to stop you. Yeah, I promised everybody. Uh, can't do it. Exclusive. Just can't do it. No. All right. Thanks anyway. You know, if it's me now, if I'm going to decide what coverage I'm going to watch, you know, I want the coverage that has the European scouts who have been like in Spain and Serbia and can say, I saw this guy play in the Euros and this is why he's great. Or the guy who's been bird dogging in like the SEC for the past two years and can like really nail down what a player is and what he can contribute. But this is the thing the TNT feed didn't have that at all. So no. given, given the two choices, I'd honestly be taking the YTV feed. Uh, two things I want to mention during it. We'll talk about our favorite part at the end, but two things uh, I enjoyed. Number one, after David Stern said it was being broadcast on YTV and the fans booed, they go back to YTV headquarters and PJ Phil tries to claim, oh, did you hear that? They were wooing. They went woo. <laughs> they did the full on boo earns. I was saying boo earns. And then the second thing was that uh, take, tape segment with Stu Jackson where Stu says, Well, it is great fun because this, this is an important day in terms of building our franchise with the players that we want to have. Right. And I get to make all those decisions, so therefore it's fun. Yeah, that sounds fun. And that one, you know, might not hold up to history quite so well. <laughs> well, fun for him, not fun for, for anybody else, really. And so, I mean, I guess that brings us to the draft itself. And let's whip through what happens early on. I mean, it's, you know, there's not much in play for the Grizzlies here. There seems to be quite a consensus top four here anyway. And so Joe Smith goes to Golden State first overall. And then we get Antonio McDice out of Alabama going to the Clippers. We know later he was traded to the Denver Nuggets. And the small bit there was that Stackhouse was kind of the consensus number two, but he had said he wouldn't play for the Clippers. So Stackhouse falls to Philadelphia and Jerry Stackhouse has a big wide grin when, <laughs> when he goes to Philly. So he's happy that he's played that little game, gotten out of the Clippers hell that was playing for Donald Sterling. And then number four, you get Rasheed Wallace and man, that highlight pack was sweet seeing the way he could fly back in the day. And then we come to number five, and this is one of those kind of widely accepted or widely suffered Grizzlies moments where you kind of think what might have been. Yeah, and uh, of course, we're saying that because number five was the only full Hall of Famer in this draft, one of the top 20 or 30 players of all time in the NBA, Kevin Garnett. And he was number five because he was a high school player, and that was rare to, at the time, incredibly rare. And there were questions about his character, unfair or not, but this was the mid-90s, and executives still t went, well, 
There are four safe choices. Everyone was in agreement. There wasn't a whole lot of arguing otherwise that there were four safe college choices in Joe Smith, McDice, Stackhouse, Wallace, and Garnett was this X factor. So it made sense in a way that he would fall to number five. And if you were a team with any sort of sense of player development, you could take, you know, a quote unquote risk on this high school player in Garnett. But man, when you see those two names next to each other, Kevin Garnett, Bryant Reeves, five and six, one with 191 win shares in the NBA, oh the other God. with thir- the other with 13, 191 to 13. <sighs> You can't really say what if because it's not like the Grizzlies had a choice and it did make sense to pick Garnett even then. But boy, that stinks. Yeah, it stings a lot. And throughout this draft, I mean, he's the guy that people are really picking on, right? Like they're saying, and they really feel, it's funny, that high school thing, it, it for some reason gives them, I guess in their own minds, this freedom to go after him. He's immature. People don't like his attitude. Um, and, you know, in the interview, he does seem a little immature, but he's he's 19 years old. They don't even say why he's immature. They don't give examples no, of exactly. things they've seen or, like, talk in the interviews. It would have been silly then, I would think, listening, knowing what we know now. It just seems absolutely ridiculous and shoddy reporting. Totally. And And I think, you know, it is part of that culture of, like, we don't like it that you didn't go to college. We like that college exists and that, you know, there's this whole basically free millions of dollars for people who, you know, profit off the NCAA. Like that was just part of the culture. It still is to an extent it's fading away, but yeah, seeing KG walk up there, you're like, Oh my God. But the thing is though, once you get to pick number six and you start hearing the talk from YTV and TNT, it must have been absolute common knowledge across the league that the Grizzlies wanted to take big country. And so I'm here to tell you, I don't even think Stu Jackson would have taken Kevin Garnett if he was even available at six. That's a spicy take, but it's only a spicy take if you ever think Stu Jackson would make the right move. And we saw time and time again that he didn't. So yeah, I'm inclined to believe that he wouldn't have in that situation, that he would have said, well, we heard concerns about KG and would have doubled down on what was conventional wisdom back then, that if you had a seven foot stout center in the middle with lots of years of college experience, that was what you built your team around. That was the safe choice. That was the thing, the Vancouver Grizzlies, who chose Stu Jackson because the NBA suggested him because Arthur Griffiths was like, I don't know what to do. Give me a guy. And they were like, well, Stu's safe. It's hard to imagine a world where he would have picked KG. Yeah, and I mean, Bryant Reeves doesn't come up really hardly at all in this draft until the Vancouver Grizzlies are on the clock and all of a sudden it's big country, big country, big country. So, I mean, like this was telegraphed to the nth degree that this is what was going to happen. Speculate, Jay. Who do you want? Who do you think they're going to go for? Well, I really don't know. I know it's between three people. It's between Ed O'Bannon, mm -hmm. it's between Cherokee Park and Bryant Reeves. All three of them, big players. Ed O'Bannon, uh, there's some questions about his knee. Uh, Cherokee Parks, there's a little bit of question about his attitude, mm -hmm. and big country, Brian Reeves is a big guy, and uh, I think he'd look good in a Vancouver uniform. And they are so excited to get him, but let's go to the big moment here. With the sixth pick in the 1995 NBA draft, the Vancouver Grizzlies select Bryant Reeves from Oklahoma State University. So they pick him, and country gets up, and I got to say, he is so 
likable and lovable. He's got the cutest smile on his face. He's got like the hat perked on top of his head. I think it doesn't fit him or he just wears it like a farmer. Like that makes sense as well. So who really cares? He's wearing his hat kind of funny. He's smiling. He dwarfs David Stern and he does the interview with Craig Sager. And I'm sorry, man, this guy is just an absolute sweetheart. He's so earnest. He's got this smile. He's got like a glimmer in his eye. They do grow them big in Gans, Oklahoma. You're the biggest now, but I saw your brothers go through that food line a little bit earlier, and Ernie Johnson's coming. They may be bigger than you someday. Yeah, you know, right now I'm the biggest, but they're probably going to catch me somewhere down the line. They're both pretty good size for their age. Big challenge out west. You have David Robinson. You have Akeem Olajuwon, Dikembe Mutombo at the center position. Then forward, you have the battle. Sean Camp, you have the battle. Kyle Malone, Charles Barkley. How do you step up your game for this new challenge? Well, you know, I think I'll be able to step up my game uh, to play these guys. You know, I've watched these guys on TV all the time. And, you know, to be able to go against them is going to be a, a dream. You know, I, the first time I don't necessarily want to look at the ball score afterwards. But, you know, I'll be ready to play against them every night. Yubi Brown said this guy has offensive skills. He's worked hard at his game. There's no bigger compliment than when it comes from Hubie. What would you tell other players in your position maybe a few years ago who want to sit there, big centers, how to improve their game? Well, you know, I think that you have to work at it every minute of the way. You know, you have to listen to people that have been there, uh, know what's going on. You know, that's the, that's the way I try to approach it. I listen to the veterans, listen to the coaching staff, and just give it 150% and everything will happen good for you. I went on a recruiting trip with Stu Jackson. He's so happy. He's talking about giving it 115%. I don't know. I don't know if it's Stockholm syndrome or what, but like at the end of this, I was almost like, you know what? Ah, <laughs> this wasn't that bad. <laughs> they made a Rick Smith comparison and I was like, yeah, I could see he was getting to be like Rick Smith. That makes a lot of sense. Country was uh, charming. You look at all those highlight packages and the thing that stood out, the same thing with Grizzlies highlight packages, those soft hands, those that ability to make like any turnaround 12 foot shot you could imagine and the thing is when we talk about was he a bad pick or not you said uh, you brought up how country suddenly only comes up in the talk when vancouver is on the board but the other players that they're mentioning as possibilities there ed o'bannon cherokee parks even corliss wilhelmson you know he had a decent career but nothing really special it's not as though conventional wisdom was that there was a better choice that the Grizzlies could have made. They thought they needed someone tall, and obviously with who the Grizzlies picked in the expansion draft, although they did pick Benoit Benjamin, but that was the idea that they wanted someone who was big, and Country was the best big man available. And I think we need to remember, too, is the way these things seem to work is that a consensus forms. It's like hive mind, right? There's all these scouts, there's all these reporters, there's all these kind of like basketball men who talk about, well, you know, Joe Smith is number one. He's the number one pick of this draft. There's no question. Then after weeks and weeks and months and months of discussing this class coming out of college and coming out of high school, it just takes form in the collective mind. And so as much as you might say, oh, you know, Danielle Marshall would have been a better pick from the second round than big country at number six, like that's simply not going to happen. That's not how it works. Maybe you've got like a Sam Presti or a Sam Hinkie or Daryl Morris who are going to like turn the draft on their head and kind of make a crazy pick. But usually that's not still even happening in the top 10 or in the lottery, you know, like, like there aren't that many surprises. And so with that in mind, let's do a little bit of a thought exercise here. And this is like 
how I torture myself as a as a Vancouver Grizzlies fan and look at legitimately who the Grizzlies could have had. And I'll start with one, and that's Damon Stoudemire. Like I it's funny, yeah. I don't actually usually think that way <laughs> because I usually think, well, big country went to Vancouver and Stoudemire went to Toronto, and that's like the binary, right? Like that's just those are the two guys they got. But Damon Stoudemire, and I compared all these guys just their first six years because that's all country played. And Damon Stoudemire is a hell of a lot better of a performer in those six years. He's got better advanced. He's 16.7 assists over six years. And he's the rookie of the year the following season. So, you know, people expressed surprise that he went at seven to Toronto, but would have been obviously a much better pick for the Grizzlies at six. Yeah, I, the one thing people say about Isaiah Thomas as an executive of anything is, yeah, he may suck at 95% of the job, but he knows how to pick out good players in the draft. And he showed that time and time again with the Raptors. You know, Stoudemire, you know, with the sober second thought in 25 years being able to look at it, his advanced stats on defense weren't great. He was a bit of a chucker, but yeah, he brought energy. He was able to give the Raptors two or three wins that first season that they didn't, they wouldn't have otherwise had. He had that whole mighty mouse aura and branding about him immediately from the get-go. He He was a leader. He had charisma, right? Like that's huge. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the Raptors still sucked those first couple seasons until yeah. they got Carter in there, but it would have been a more exciting team. They would have, at the very end of the day, Stoudemire was still productive for many years. They could have kept him, signed him to a max deal, or traded him for assets like the Raptors did. Certainly, that would have been the best, better pick there. But if they were so committed to a top big guy, you know, I'm looking there at what they could have done, and it's like Kurt Thomas maybe at number 10 for Miami yeah. was on the board. But Kurt Thomas was always a more workmanlike sort of guy who's like your number four or five option. Anyways, I don't recall. No one was talking about him having an incredibly high ceiling. He was a grinder. Yeah, and Kurt Thomas also you know, where he separates himself from country is his entire body of work over like a thousand games in the NBA, right? So you look back at that career and you go, well, that's a better draft pick. Someone who played for all those years and like competed in the playoffs and knew what it was like to be, you know, a journeyman professional NBA basketball player. But if you put them side by side for those six seasons, he is a bit better on advanced stats, but they're, you know, they're per 36 Basically, to explain that, that's just taking the the averages per game and projecting it to a 36-minute average just to average out the minutes uh, because, of course, Big Country played more than most people because he's on the expansion team. But yeah, if you if they're pretty even stats-wise. I wouldn't say that's like a, oh my God, Stu, what did you do not taking Kurt Thomas, you know? Yeah, and of all the bad moves that Stu Jackson made over the course of the Vancouver Grizzlies, and there were many... I don't, and it pains me to say this in a way, I don't think you can say drafting Big Crunchy Reeves was up there really at the end of the day when you consider what he had to work with. Yeah, and then I look at a couple more here. You know, Gary Trent went at 11. I don't think, you know, he has some better advanced stats, but I don't, I wouldn't argue vehemently that that's someone he should have grabbed over country. You go to Corliss Williamson, you know, he ends up getting a sixth man of the year and he gets a title with Detroit, has a pretty long career, big nasty. He was most outstanding player for Arkansas in the final four, a year and a half before that. So he had kind of the credentials 
So you could see him taking it again, not like a home run over country or anything like that. Then you get to 15, Brent Barry. And now you look at Brent Barry's advanced stats and they absolutely destroy big country. Even though his numbers are guy. Well, his, yeah, his numbers aren't flashy, right? But he hits like 40 something percent on threes. So that's the main reason that he really outperforms country in that statistical category. You know, Brent Berry could have been better, but again, I'm not like running to the hills screaming, like, what were you doing, Stu? The only real standout was Michael Finley, right? He's the only person that when you look at the advanced stats there, that it's like, yeah, this was a guy that carried a playoff contending team for multiple seasons. And that, and Michael Finley, you know, solid shooter, when he was with Nash and Witzke with the early era Mavs there in 2002, 2003, very solid. But again, are these moving the needle for the Grizzlies at the end of the day? And could Stu have reasonably expected to make that much of a reach given the consensus that had formed at the time? I don't think so. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely have, have, you know, shed some proverbial basketball fan tears staring at Michael Finley's basketball reference page. Like he was legit. Awesome. Like, 11 seasons, 15 points a game, plus two-time All-Star. I mean, the thing about Michael Finley is there was a bit of lore about him, right? Like, there's that story about him in high school taking on Jordan one-on-one, and he's kind of got the swagger, and I think he he shit-talked Jordan a little bit because they're, you know, because Finley was from Chicago, had the four-year career at Wisconsin. I agree with you. Like, it would probably have been too much of a reach at the time, which I hate to, to let Stu off the hook, but I would say in arguing with you a little bit, he would have moved the needle. Like he was a much, much better, much more uh, complete and prepared player for the NBA than of course, big country kind of ever was. But so, I mean, all in all, you kind of look at this and (laughs) I mean, again, I don't know if it's just me doing this podcast and wanting to love the Grizzlies and not wanting to spend energy on hate on stew. It's just like, was it really that bad of a pick? Yeah, and I think it's, you know, we've been held hostage by watching so many of these mid-90s NBA basketball games, too, where a big dominant center is so key to so many teams. And if you have that anchoring your team's offense and defense, that's like 40% of the battle right there. So we are going to accept Stu's pick of Big Country Reeves. But what's interesting in the TNT broadcast is that we immediately find out Maybe we weren't going to have big country in the first place. Maybe he was going to stay a little bit closer to Gans, Oklahoma. See, now this I did not know, and my jaw dropped. So we're watching the TNT feed, and it's getting to the point where I'm kind of tuning out. I don't care anymore because I've seen all the Grizzly, all the Grizzlies stuff. I've seen the big country stuff. I've seen the Stoudemire stuff. And they throw to a new face they've never shown him before. It's Dick Versace, who's the TNT insider, and people will remember, he's the future president of basketball operations for the Grizzlies, oversaw the sale of the team to Michael Heisley, basically one of the -the behind-the-scenes architect of the team moving out of town. But at this point, just a TNT insider, so Dick Versace, and he says, hey, I just wanted to run by... Uh, trade scenario for you. All right, Ernie. Well, it looks like Stu Jackson of the Vancouver Grizzlies is very happy with big country Bryant Reeves, but we kept hearing that Dallas liked him too, and they were willing to give up the 12th, 24th, and a future first-round pick for big country Reeves. This is like... This is like this a is Sam- the mother load. 
This is a Sam Presti mother load. Two first round picks that year and a first. We don't know the first round pick, but in those days, I don't think they traded firsts very far in the future. So we can safely guess or safely understand that it's either number six in 96 or number six in 97. Assuming that Big Country did not magically propel the Mavericks to being a much better team. <laughs> oh my God. Shut I up. I played that straight. I played that straight. I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> okay, sorry. That was a belly laugh, man. Thank you. Thank you for that. I needed that. So, I mean, when I heard that, that is when the cogs start turning, the wheels start turning. And like this, like imagine the guts of Stu Jackson if he had pulled this off to be like, oh, we're going to flip six for 12-24 and the first next year. And imagine the next season when the Mavs suck again. And he's now rubbing his hands in 96 with the Reef pick and the number six pick. So let's play a little kind of what could have been what's behind the curtain game here. And so what I've done is, again, using that consensus thought pattern, what reasonably could have happened if he had done this trade and it just gets, you know, at first it's kind of like, okay, okay. And then it just gets insane fast. So let's say he gets number 12 and he takes Corliss Williamson. Okay. Totally safe, reason, totally safe, reasonable. Corliss went at 13. Like I mentioned his credentials, a well-known player, an excellent player. Okay. So 12 Corliss Williamson. Now 24, because we know we need this big body. It's the big body. It's the nineties. We need the rebounding. We need the blockers. We need the block shots. How about Greg Ostertag? And I know you're going to laugh because he was just like, like this oaf who played for the Utah Jazz. And we remember him kind of like getting shredded by the Bulls in the finals those two years in the 90s. But Ostertag went 28. So going at 24 would not be a stretch at all. And actually, if you compare him to big country, his value over replacement and win shares are better. And his per 36 blocks and rebounds are better. And those seem to be the things we're so, you know, concerned with, with these centers. So, okay, you get, instead of country, you get Corliss and you get Ostertag. You know, I'm not blowing anybody's mind right now, but say the number six, the next year is the future pick. This is where the tears start to fall. Justin, mm -hmm. Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, Antoine Walker, Kerry Kittles, Paige Stojakovic, or Jermaine O'Neal. Like I just, mean, Oh my god. So what ends up happening is that uh, we probably pick Vitaly Potapenko because Stu Jackson. <laughs> but probably. Yeah. It's oh it's imagining a second high pick that year is a lot. We don't, you know, we're going on Dick's word here and this we have not on one hand we have nothing to discount it. On the other hand, uh, this is the first time we heard about it. It had not become one of these giant, well-trafficked uh, rumors. But what you think he's playing the long game or something? Here? It's conceivable. Give it. <laughs> no <laughs> master plan. But no, he's planning to get like, ninety-five. He's planting the seed yeah. of discontent. Is 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 tricky. But it's one of those. It's such a staggering haul. Knowing what we know about even t today, if you were to say that, it's you don't give up that many picks to go up just a grand total of, of like a grand total of five slots, six slots. Yeah. 12, 12 to, to six. six. Yeah. Yeah. Giving up that much. You just don't do it. And to get all that, you know, it would have been something, but the Grizzlies never got something. And so I'm not at the end of the day too choked about it.
Dallas wanted him so bad. Why are you choked about it? I'm, like this is like maybe the most like pissed off I've been in 20 years about this. Dallas wanted a big man so bad. They traded for Eric Montross the next year and moved that draft pick. So like they were hell bent on getting a big man. Cause they had Jason Kidd, Jamal Mashburn and Jimmy Jackson. Right. So like that was meant to be the big three heading into the like late nineties, early two thousands. But let's just imagine this 96, 97 Grizzlies roster. Oster tag at center, Abdur Rahim at four power forward, Corliss Williamson at the three, and then take your pick. Peja, Kobe, Kerry Kittles, or Nash playing, you know, one or two, I guess, depending if it's Nash. And then Greg Anthony, who, as we've discussed, is, is you know, solid, solid player. Could run a hell of an offense with those guys. And then all of a sudden, Blue Edwards is your sixth man. Maybe Benoit Benjamin doesn't get traded because you don't need to force feed country 45 minutes against the Sonics on a night in December. <laughs> like, that's a squad all of a sudden, man. I'm not even saying, like, I'm not saying that that's a playoff team right there. But it's certainly the makings of a team of the future. And that's the kind of thing that just gets me fired up. And the thing that's so frustrating with the Grizzlies is that they were so bad for so many years that there was virtually no enthusiasm left to save them once Michael Heisley stepped into the picture. And all it takes, you know, what was the bar? If the Grizzlies won 30 games regularly a year, you know what I mean, and had some hope for the playoffs, would there have been enough enthusiasm? Would have built up enough around the team? Would they have lost as much money? We don't know. All we know is that they were abysmally bad, and any choices they could have made to be slightly worse than abysmally bad would have helped, and this was one that apparently was dropped on their laps like a silver platter. And Stu said no. Masai Ujiri would take probably 0.6 seconds before he said yes. Well, he'd probably calmly pause because he's an absolute boss and like probably get an extra second round. Second rounder in like 1998. (laughs) (laughs) But, But seriously, like legit guys who know how to do that job would just be chomping at that trade. Like that is, I think that's the thing that pains me out of all this still to this day is, you know, it's easy to get owned on Twitter by the rest of the NBA basketball fandom world. People say, especially now that we're talking about the idea of expansion, that Vancouver, you had your chance and you blew it. And that's the popular understanding. And in some ways, I guess it is true because by the end, we didn't want to watch it. We didn't want to suffer through the bullshit that was foisted upon us. And I think when I look back to especially these first couple of years and see like, if you gave us that team, Ostertag, Abdur Rahim, Corliss, even Peja, or even Kerry Kittles, whatever it may be, you've got some flash, you've got some athleticism, you've got some, you know, defensive cohesiveness there. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, maybe you build some momentum. And like you said, you get 30 wins, you get 35 wins, you scare a playoff run. And then maybe we're not the ones who are blamed for losing the team. And instead, you know, right now we get blamed and it's like, I can't argue strongly enough it wasn't our fault we never had something good to cheer for and maybe grow and maybe greg ostertag is the orland kurtenbach of the vancouver grizzlies oh, <laughs> oh one can only dream jeremy i've got to say my favorite moment out of all that you talked about the most frustrating and it was my favorite moment was uh, on the ytb broadcast Immediately after Country was picked, they went live back to Vancouver. Again, they had many expansive live shots here to Mark McAllister, 
who is now a broadcaster in Toronto as well. And he talks to three kids about this big country pick. And two of them make the most salient point that anyone on TNT or YTV made about country that entire broadcast. Yeah, well, he turns to one guy who's wearing a black Orlando Shaq jersey, and he's like, yeah, it's great. It's going to be awesome. And he's pumped. And then he turns to these two dudes who are wearing tucked in polos and khakis, just like, I don't know. I don't know why. That just the look was amazing. But of course, it's, it's that. But it's it's when you're 15 and it's 1995, and you're not sure whether to dress up cool or formal for this thing where th- that's a big deal. Yeah, I could see the the mom being like, "You're not going down to GM Place looking like that, are you?" And then he throws on his <laughs> best uh, his best Dockers and like uh, Monaco shirt. And so anyway. They turn to the guy and he goes, I think he's going to be a butt. I think he's going to be the next Will Purdue. Will Purdue? That's a good comparison. How about yourself? I think he's a bad pick. He's too slow and he's too big. What do you think he's going to be able to accomplish here? I don't think he's going to improve much. He'll just stay as he is right now. He has not. And it's like, wow, harsh, but also scarily accurate. (laughs) Oh my God, they they knew. But I love how the broadcaster is so taken. He says, Will Purdue. That's a good comparison. (laughs) The only time that price was. (laughs) Mark was poised for all three of those dudes just to be pumped, right? Like that was his assumption was, we're YTV, we're positive. We love the NBA. This is going to be cool. And these two stoic teens just shred the pick. And they were so right. They were so, so right. <sighs> oh, man. Well, it's, it was a good experience watching this. And, like, I guess in some ways learning that the big country pick is not quite as bad as we look at it upon it in history, except now that we've learned about this trade, which makes it almost like 100 times worse. And with that... This has been, with the second pick, Steve Francis. I'm a very depressed Jeremy Allingham for my partner here, Justin McElroy. Thanks for listening and watch for episode five coming soon.